This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Plated Earth, where we share at least a fraction of the crazy, wonderful, and insightful stories of produce. I'm your host, JJ. And I'm your host, Chris. We are also the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. Please show your support for us and Specialty Produce by downloading the app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases. Now grab a snack and get ready for Food Fables, where we share original short fiction stories about produce and its connection to people, culture, and more. Dimitri loved tomato season. Walking down the stalls of fresh tomatoes at the Los Angeles Farmer's Market was like walking on a rainbow. Classic red beefsteaks, orange cherry tomatoes, great white and sun gold, green zebra, indigo blueberries, cherry tomatoes, Cherokee purple heirlooms. Just a few among hundreds of varieties, both hybrid and heirloom types, ranging far and wide in color, size, and shape. The selection, and further yet the application of tomatoes, is seemingly endless, which led Dimitri to his infinitely deep attraction to the fruit and its versatility in the kitchen. He removed his newsboy cap to better see the sun's shine on the skin of the many varieties before him, making his selection, as always, thoughtfully. Each tomato is like an art piece, with such vibrant color and distinguished character, Dimitri said to one of the farmers as he purchased several different cultivars. My mother used to tell me that tomatoes came from drops of paint that fell from the angels in heaven as they painted their views of earth. Your mother must have really liked tomatoes, the farmer replied. Dimitri gathered together an array of soft, fresh cheeses, fresh basil, and some olive oil, and brought it to the community tables, alongside his rainbow of tomatoes. He purposely paired certain tomatoes with certain cheeses, some with basil, some without. Some he handed out alone, like one of his favorites, the sun gold cherry tomato. It's sweet enough to eat like candy, he said popping one in his mouth with a childlike grin, and handed them out to the kids at the table. Did you know, he addressed the crowd as a whole, in the late 1700s, most Europeans feared the tomato. They thought it was only eaten by the people in the hot countries, like South America, where it came from, to cool and quench the heat and thirst of their hot stomachs. It even developed a nickname, though not a loving one. It was called the Poison Apple, because it was thought to be deathly toxic. Why? A woman at the table asked before taking a bite of her cherry tomato and goat cheese. Well, this misunderstanding may have spread, because the tomato was known to display characteristics of deadly nightshades and other poisonous plants, being of the same botanical family of nightshades. But there were also many counts of European aristocrats getting sick and dying after eating tomatoes, But the truth of the matter was that the wealthy Europeans used pewter plates, which were high in lead content. Because tomatoes are so high in acidity, they would leach lead from the plate, leading to death from lead poisoning. But sadly, no one made this connection between the plate and poison at the time. The tomato was named as the culprit. Public mistrust started even earlier, though, thanks to a barber surgeon and botanist named John Gerard and his 1597 published work entitled The Herbal. This publication was of Gerard's research work on agriculture, arguably poorly researched, but published nonetheless. 
In the book, Gerard asserted that the entire tomato plant was of rank and stinking savor and described the fruit as corrupt with toxic leaves and stock. This misrepresented view of the tomato came to define Europe's attitude toward the foreign fruit, at least until the late 1800s. The turning point for Europe came, of course, with the invention of pizza in Naples, Italy. Europe's attitude followed the tomato to the New World, and it was, at first, grown in America only as an ornamental. Legend has it that Colonel Robert Gibbon from Salem, New Jersey, helped disprove the popular poison myth here in the United States. On June 28, 1820, at the height of the tomato season, he ate a basket of tomatoes from his garden on the steps of the local courthouse in front of the townspeople. When they saw that he survived this daring public demonstration— people began to accept the tomato as food. How crazy! A man exclaimed from the crowd, tossing a cherry-punched tomato in the air and catching it in his mouth. Certainly some people didn't believe the rumors in Europe, though, right? Another person asked. I mean, the natives in Central and South America, where tomatoes were found, those people were eating them and surviving just fine, as I'm sure was true for others in Europe who, well, you know, didn't have pewter plates. Dimitri smiled. Well, since you mentioned it, I do know a tale of one such fellow who didn't believe such an outrageous rumor. Dimitri paused momentarily and ate a few of the beautiful, sweet, plum-like indigo blueberries cherry tomatoes. As usual, with a wipe of his napkin across his lips, like a curtain unveiling the opening act, he began his story. Dimitri spoke. Early 17th century, somewhere outside London, Detective Pomeroy and his associate Hunter walk up the ominously long dirt driveway, lined by the perfectly green grass yard, toward the English country house before them. The house was almost a perfect rectangle, save for the trapezoid-shaped raised center of the roof, topped with two chimneys. There were seven long rectangular windows looking out from the second story, aligned directly above the six windows of the first floor, plus the front door, also with a window, though it was curved around the top. What symmetry, Detective Pomeroy admired. He was a short man in his mid-thirties, not much taller than five foot four, though he carried himself with great poise. His head was exactly the shape of an egg, and he always tilted it a little to one side. His pink-tipped nose, pointed slightly upward, rested above a stiff, waxed, perfectly manicured mustache. The neatness of his attire was almost implausible. A speck of dust landing on his suit would have been as much a crime to him as the murder he was called to solve. It's creepy, Hunter replied. Hunter was a bit taller than Detective Pomeroy and much slimmer. Even his face was long and slender, with a pointed nose. His unkempt hair hidden beneath a black fedora. Hunter stumbled over a loose patch of dirt and gravel as he was busy eyeing the foreboding building before him, kicking up dirt which the wind carried over across Detective Pomeroy's patent leather shoes. Ah, Hunter, you fool! Detective Pomeroy's face cringed in such a way you'd have thought he had been shot. Sorry, boss, here. Hunter used his pocket square to dust off Detective Pomeroy's shoe. Come along now, Hunter, we've a job to do here, and watch your step, please. The two hurried up the drive and a few large steps to the front door and knocked. They were greeted by the butler. Welcome to the Garden Manor. The men nodded and handed over their jackets and hats before being escorted through the large entryway to the living room. Detective Pomeroy, it's a pleasure. A woman in her forties stood from the large throne-like armchair and extended her hand. 
I am Mrs. Garden, and these are my children. She motioned to the two young men and one younger girl, who all stood in unison from the small sofa. My pleasure entirely, ma'am. This is my associate. Can you help us? Mrs. Garden interrupted with a hasty tone. Hunter slowly pulled back his hand with a frown. That is our objective, ma'am. First of all, my condolences for your losses. Detective Pomeroy crossed his hands in front of his body and hung his head for a moment before continuing. Your husband, may he rest in peace, was the first of your household to perish mysteriously. He was poisoned, one of the sons proclaimed. Do not interrupt, Mrs. Garden scolded. Hunter squinted and furrowed his eyebrows as he watched Mrs. Garden contradict her own behavior. It's quite all right, Detective Pomeroy said, as he instinctively turned to Hunter, who stood a step behind him, giving him a bold stare under raised eyebrows, a hint for Hunter to calm down. Who else have you lost? My grandmother and my elder brother. I see, Detective Pomeroy began pacing through the room. And your staff, butler, maid, the cook, they all live on the property? Yes. And your children, they all live here as well? Yes. And no one else has stayed on the property in recent months. My nephew, my eldest brother's son, he lives here as well, um, and he... She choked up as she tried to continue. He, um... He's not well, the elder son interjected again, this time stepping forward to place a hand on his mother's shoulder. He's resting upstairs. Detective Pomeroy stopped in front of the dining table. There was a low-rimmed basket of what looked to be glossy red fruit, still clung to a vibrant green vine. Detective Pomeroy lifted it up, dangling it in front of his face, turning it one way, then the other, before replacing it in a straighter line than it had been before. I see. He paced in silence for a moment, the room waiting on his next words. Mrs. Garden, you have a room for us? Why, yes, yes, of course. Wonderful. I think it best we stay on site to observe the occurrences of the Garden Manor and its residents. Of course. Thank you again, Detective Pomeroy, for taking our case. Son, please show these gentlemen to their room. The men walked off single file as Mrs. Garden called out, Oh, and supper is at six, the dining room just down the hall from the bottom of the staircase. 5.45 p.m. Detective Pomeroy and Hunter stood in the far corner of the long dining room, watching as the maid set the table with pewter plates and silver utensils and filled short glasses with water. Perhaps she slipped something into the water, Hunter whispered. Perhaps, but why? Why? Maybe she doesn't like the attitude of Mrs. Garden, interrupting and demanding easy Hunter. Hunter sighed. The maid finished and stood at the entryway to the kitchen, opposite the room of the detectives, awaiting the family's arrival. Look at her hands, Detective Pomeroy said without pointing or even looking in her direction again. What about them? She's holding them on the lower end of her belly, and she's looked down at them three times since she's been standing there. Hunter looked puzzled. Are you saying she's pregnant? Yes, I believe so. And I believe the father is Mrs. Garden's younger son. I saw the two of them sitting on the bed as I passed by his room on my way to see the nephew. They were discussing the mystery they're in, consoling one another, his hand on her belly. They looked genuinely sorrowful. Why would she, or either of them really, risk poisoning themselves or each other in order to poison the rest of the family? 
No, I don't think they would. Wow, Hunter said as he watched the maid and noticed the nuances of her face that matched Detective Pomeroy's intuitions. The family arrived promptly at 6 p.m. Mrs. Garden invited the detectives to sit, but Detective Pomeroy politely refused, despite the insistence. We will eat in the kitchen. We are not here as true guests. We are here to observe and not disrupt the day-to-day. I feel it better for us to dine quickly elsewhere so we might return to our duty. Plus, I do have a sensitive stomach, so I best chat with your cook. As Detective Pomeroy spoke, the family had taken their seats, and the butler began to pour the wine. Hunter watched the butler with a raised eyebrow. The cook emerged from the kitchen. Bonjour, he bowed. For your supper this evening, bread accompanied by cheese and apple, and a portion of venison with tomatoes and dandelion greens from the garden. Bon appétit. Detective Pomeroy and Hunter accompanied the cook back to the kitchen, where the maid and butler sat at a small table in the corner, eating their meals of cold meat, bread and butter, and tomatoes on old, cracked ceramic plates. Gentlemen, allow me to find you more proper place settings, the cook said as he moved around the kitchen, searching his cabinets. No, please, this is fine, Detective Pomeroy said as he grabbed two ceramic plates from the counter behind him. We can stand. Detective Pomeroy took a piece of bread and a few pieces of cheese and two slices of tomato from the serving countertop, while Hunter filled his plate, seizing a whole tomato. Mmm, Hunter moaned as he bit into it. This is delicious. What is this? Pomme d'amour, the cook said. I'm sorry? It's a tomato. A tomato? I've never had one. It sounds familiar, though. Hmm, well... Oh, it's juicy and tangy. What is that flavor? Tomato, Detective Pomeroy repeated. Mm, well, I like it. As Hunter took another bite, some of the juice squirted out and landed directly on Detective Pomeroy's patent leather shoe. Ah! Detective Pomeroy nearly dropped his plate. He was shaking with anger. Again, Hunter, again? Sorry, boss. Hunter set down his plate, the half-eaten tomato on top of the mountain of food, and the cook handed him a dish towel. As Hunter cleaned Detective Pomeroy's shoe, the cook spoke to break the awkward silence. From what I know, which isn't much, the Spanish conquistadors discovered tomatoes growing in the native gardens when Cortez conquered Mexico City in the 16th century, and they brought seeds home to Spain. From there, the tomato has made its way throughout Europe. I first saw it when I was still home in France, and actually brought seeds with me when I first came to England. I've seen them used as centerpieces and decoration more than anything else here so far. Ah, yes, on the dining room table here. Detective Pomeroy, what you picked up earlier? Those were tomatoes. Yes, the cook said. Fascinating. There's still much to be known, much to learn about this little guy. The cook picked up another whole tomato. It's part of what I love about being a cook, experimenting with new flavors, new foods. Once his shoes were again spotless, Detective Pomeroy began to pace in the kitchen. And Pom de Moore? Hunter asked. The cook smiled. It's French name. It means apple of love. This little guy is thought to have aphrodisiac properties. Perhaps why some consider this indulgence to be taboo. Fascinating indeed, Detective Pomeroy said, head down as he continued to pace. Hunter finished his meal, as did the maid and butler. The maid stood and cleared their plates as Detective Pomeroy stuck his pinky finger out and wiped the juice off the top of an untouched tomato slice that was still on the ceramic serving tray. He tasted it, smacking his lips, 
his tongue meticulously analyzing the acidity and the sweetness. As the butler went to stand, Hunter stopped him, standing over him at the small table. I noticed you did not drink any wine. No, sir. Yet you poured it for everyone else, Hunter said with raised eyebrows. I am not allowed wine, sir. Interesting. Detective Pomeroy got another pinky's worth of tomato juice, this time wiping it from against the tray itself. The cook watched him quizzically, slowly moving his hand in to clear the tray, pulling it away even slower, as if expecting Detective Pomeroy to stop him. But he didn't. He paid no attention to the cook or anyone else in that moment. The cook looked to the maid, who shrugged her shoulders and continued on toward the sink at the other end of the kitchen. The cook eventually followed in pursuit. "'Are you insinuating what I think you are, sir?' asked the butler. "'Why don't you have a glass?' Hunter reached for the bottle on the counter and extended it to the butler. The two locked eyes, each sizing the other up. Detective Pomeroy was lost in his thoughts, leaning against the countertop, when the cook, who was wiping down the counter, accidentally bumped his hip and brought him back into the moment. Apologies, sir. No, please, my apologies. I'm in your way. Where's the maid? She's clearing the plate of Mrs. Garden's nephew from upstairs. I see. And the butler... Detective Pomeroy turned around to see the butler chugging wine from the bottle while Hunter, standing over him, reached his hands for the bottle, trying to take it back. Hunter, what in good graces are you doing? Some wine spilled onto the table and the floor below as Hunter pried the near-empty bottle away. He could have poisoned it. Maybe still did, but only certain glasses. How dare you question my honor with such an accusation? The butler pushed his chair back forcefully, the legs squealing as they dragged against the floor and he stood to face Hunter. His head wobbled, and he held his hands up by his sides to maintain his balance. Whoa, uh, I... The butler shook his head as if to reset his vision and speech. I am offended. Excuse me, but it is my duty to question... Hunter, that's quite enough, thank you, for your ever-stellar detective work. But boss, the butler is always a questionable character in these circumstances. You watch your mouth, sir! The butler slurred, pointing at Detective Pomeroy, though he was aiming for Hunter. "'You were among the first trained in the British Army, were you not?' Detective Pomeroy asked the butler as he helped him to sit back down. Meanwhile, the maid returned and, seeing the spilled wine, quickly placed the tray with the nephew's empty plate on it down on the countertop. She gave a look to the cook, who stood, arms crossed, watching the scene. He shrugged. She rolled her eyes and grabbed a towel to clean the spilled wine. "'Yes, sir,' the butler said." How, um, how... You carry yourself in a militaristic manner. Rigid, attentive, strong. You're a man of integrity, and you take your honor and loyalty very seriously. So much so that you were willing to drink the better part of this bottle to prove your alliance, even though it meant a potentially unpleasant night and perhaps morning. <laughs> Hunter laughed, until Detective Palmer gave him a sideways stare. And as a military man, Detective Pomeroy stood, now facing and talking to Hunter, I hardly think he'd be afraid to face his enemies face to face, in a more personal, even more brutal way. Hunter looked puzzled. I don't believe he would choose to use poison. Oh, wow. Detective Pomeroy, once again you amaze me. I rely on my little gray cells, not just your standard detective work. Intuition. Critical thinking. He tapped the side of his head with his pointer finger. As he did so, he noticed the tray on the counter behind Hunter with the cleared pewter plate. 
He moved Hunter out of the way. Take the butler upstairs, see that he gets to bed, and explain this misunderstanding to the family so that we do not get this gentleman in trouble or, worse yet, cost him his job. Yes, boss. Detective Palmer, I lifted the pewter plate off of the tray and held it up to eye level, squinting. Then he brought it under his nose, inhaled, and then finally took his pinky and dabbed at the tomato juice on the plate, bringing it just to the very tip of his tongue. His green eyes shone like a cat's as he processed the taste and continued to gaze at the pewter plate. Very fascinating. What is? Detective Palmer jumped startled to see the cook and maid standing across the kitchen, watching him. He had forgotten they were there, again lost in his head. Tomatoes. The next morning, the family gathered around the dining table and ate their porridge and berries in silence. The maid and butler stood on either side of the doorframe of the entry to the kitchen, while the detectives stood together in one corner opposite the room at the far end of the table. The maid watched the younger son, smiling coyly when he looked up and winked discreetly. The butler was leaning faintly on the wall behind him, his eyes squinting to block out the sunlight from the east window so he could hold his deep stare at Hunter. "'You've been awfully quiet since last night,' Hunter whispered. "'Are you on to someone?' "'Not someone,' Detective Palmer said, stroking his mustache. "'Something.' Hunter leaned in. "'It does not make sense that any of these folk would be guilty of such a crime. "'No, no. "'So what, then?' Hunter leaned in even closer. "'Tomatoes.' "'Tomatoes?' "'Yes, but not just the tomatoes, actually.' If my theory is correct, I believe it is. I should say the true culprit may be... Ah, tomatoes! Hunter exclaimed. Several of the family members dropped their forks loudly on their plates, alarmed by Hunter's vocalized epiphany. Hunter, I knew something was familiar. What's going on? Mrs. Garden said, rising to her feet. Well, I have a working theory. It's the tomatoes! I read about them some time ago, but had never actually seen one. It was in the publication of John Gerard's research work on agriculture, called Herbal. He described the tomato as corrupt with toxic leaves and stock. My God, I've seen that publication, Mrs. Garden chimed in. I hardly paid any attention to it, but he may be right. The rest of the room started chattering, quoting the book, gawking in disbelief. Settle down, settle down, please, folks, Detective Pomeroy shouted over the clamor. Listen to me and listen carefully, for my theory does not point to the tomato alone as the culprit. A sea of confounded faces stared back at him, including that of Hunter, who now took a seat at the table to watch Detective Pomeroy from the same perspective as the family. The true culprit is... The pewter plate! A unanimous gasp came from the gathering, who pushed their pewter plates away from them toward the center of the table in disgust. What about the tomato? the elder son asked. Detective Palmer began to pace at the head of the table. He lifted his pointer finger to the sky and began. Tomatoes are quite high in acidity. Does that make them poisonous? Hunter asked. Detective Palmer stopped and turned, directing his finger at Hunter. No questions. As I was saying, tomatoes are acidic, he continued his pace. Your pewter plates? They're quite high in lead. So my theory is this. The crowd leaned in, hanging on Detective Pomeroy's words. When you place a tomato, he used hand gestures to demonstrate, 
On this particular tableware, the acidic tomato seeps in lead from the plate. This, I propose, would result in death from lead poisoning, not from the tomato itself. Hunter jumped from his seat, applauding. Wow, boss! He stepped forward toward him, a little too close, and stepped on Detective Pomeroy's left foot. Ah, Hunter! Detective Pomeroy brought his thumb and middle finger to his temples, eyes closed, as if he could imagine away the scuff marks on his patent leather shoe. Sorry, boss! Hunter knelt down and again pulled his pocket square to polish the shoe as best he could. The family, still stunned from the theory, waited silently for the detectives to finish their quibble. I have a suspicion, Detective Palmer began again, that the tomato will be vilified and blamed for such deaths as the ones your family has suffered. But I implore you, do not believe the rumors. You will be much wiser than your fellow countrymen, and you can help redeem this lovely fruit. Just don't eat them on pewter plates, Hunter added. Thank you, Hunter. And thank you, Detective Pomeroy, Mrs. Garden said as she came over to shake his hand. I can't tell you what a relief it is to know that this is not the malicious doing of someone under our very own roof. Pleasure is all mine, ma'am. My best to you and your family. Take care of yourselves and each other. He winked at the younger son and smiled at the maid, who blushed again holding her belly. The butler came over to the detectives and extended his hand toward the entryway of the home. I would be happy to escort you out, he said, looking only at Hunter. I'll bring your belongings down to you. I would be happy to escort you, Hunter mumbled in a mocking tone until Detective Pomeroy gave him his usual sideways scolding eyes. Thank you, kind sir, and again, my apologies for last evening. The butler smiled modestly at Detective Pomeroy, before returning to his death stare at Hunter, who simply frowned back. And so the detectives went off to solve their next crime. As they made their way down the drive, Detective Pomeroy turned back to the house and saw the cook standing in one of the first floor windows. The cook held up a tomato as if to cheers. Detective Pomeroy nodded back as the cook took a large, juicy bite. The end. That concludes this week's episode. Be sure to follow at Specialty Produce app on Instagram for some amazing produce photos. And while you're on there, give us a follow at Plated Earth. Tune in next time for the latest food buzz. And remember, cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. We'll catch you next time. Restaurant Week, my favorite week of the year, will be happening from September 24th to October 1st. Over 180 restaurants participating with lunch and dinner option. Go to San Diego Restaurant Week.com and make your reservation now. <laughs>